0: You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today my guest is Solala Towler. Solala has taught and practiced Taoist meditation and Qigong for more than 25 years. He's the author of Tales from the Tao, Tao Paths to Love, and the Tao of Intimacy and Ecstasy. Solala is the editor of The Empty Vessel magazine, a widely respected journal of Taoist philosophy and practice. He teaches qigong and sound healing, at conferences and workshops around the country, and is the author of a new book with Sounds True, Practicing the Tao Te Ching, 81 Steps on the Way. In this episode of Insights at the Edge, Solala and I spoke about Lao Tzu and the original writing of the Tao Te Ching, and Lao Tzu's description of the sage as the person who returns people to their childlike hearts. We talked about belly-knowing versus intellectual-knowing and the importance of approaching the Tao Te Ching as a path of practice. Solala also led us in a practice that he called Filling the Jade Pond, as well as a second practice called The Small Heavenly Orbit. Here's my conversation on practicing the Tao Te Ching with Solala Towler. Solala, to begin, I want to talk about your new book, Practicing the Tao Te Ching. I think many people are familiar with the Tao Te Ching as a collection of verses, but this idea of practicing, the Tao Te Ching, you introduce 81 practices to go with each one of the verses of the text. Can you talk a little bit about the inspiration and the vision for creating that kind of book?
1: Um, yes, to to my knowledge, this is the first time someone has done it this way. Um, there are many, many, many translations of Tao Te Ching and most of the time people think of Tao Te Ching as a book of philosophy. And once you start studying Taoism uh, for any length of time, you'll learn that the Tao Te Ching is actually a manual for self-cultivation, which is what we call spiritual work in Taoism. And so I wanted to do my version, uh, my interpretation of Tao Te Ching, that would bring out the Taoist teachings. And I was writing the commentary, and then the idea came along to actually write a practice for each one. Because in the Taoist world, it's not, there's a, Lao Tzu talks about the difference between head knowledge and belly knowledge. And the idea is to not just read this book and understand this book intellectually, but to really live it and really make it real in your body, in your belly, of what we call the Dan Tian.
0: And yet, which practice goes with which verse? I mean, how did you figure that out?
1: Well, a lot of them are really obvious because they come right out of the the text. And then other ones were, um, they all come from Taoist traditions, and some of them either came directly from the text or some of them were something that was inspired by the text, by Lao Tzu's text. So some of them are meditation practices, some are Qigong practices, some are lifestyle practices. And I think it's exciting that people don't just sit and read the book, but you actually get to practice the book. And, um, and have it make some Im- real impact on your life.
0: Okay, let's talk a little bit about Lao Tzu. Man, myth, legend, what do yeah. we actually know about him?
1: Oh, well, scholars argue about this all the time, but I like to believe in the story, or at least I like to go along with the story. The interesting thing about Lao Tzu, Lao Tzu is not his name, like he is not Mr. Tzu. Lao Tzu is more of a title. It means like old master. And Lao means old, Zi means master. And the interesting thing about the word Zi in Chinese, it kind of looks like a three with a line through it. The same character is used also for child. So it's kind of like uh, become a child is enter the kingdom. It, lao is sometimes translated as old child. And he talks about uh, in one point, he says, the sage returns people to their childlike hearts. And so he, he was, a, he was a, a great teacher in the Zhou Dynasty. He was the keeper of the royal archives. He was extremely well-educated. He had studied with many teachers. And he, he got older, and the Zhou Dynasty was moving into what the historians call the Warring States Period, much like our period or much like what's going on in the Middle East right now. He realized things were getting really bad, and that he was afraid this knowledge would be lost. And he decided to leave the city and leave his post and strike out for the wilderness. And on his way out, he was stopped by one of his te- one of his students at this pass just before the wilderness, who begged him to write something down of his teachings, because before this these teachings were an oral tradition. Lao Tzu, who wrote this 2,500 years ago refers to the ancient teachings. So if these were ancient 2,500 years ago, they go back many thousands of years. And he didn't really want, the story is he didn't really want to write it down because he felt the, it would lose, the oral tradition would be lost by trying to write things down and fix them on, on, well, bamboo strips at the time, but fix them in people's minds. So the first line he wrote was, the Tao that can be written down or understood with the mind is not the real Tao. And then he and then he wrote a very short book, five thousand characters, and then he went off into the wilderness.
0: Now that's interesting, twenty five hundred years ago we have Lao Tzu, twenty six hundred years ago we have the Buddha. What do you think of the synchronicity there that they were teaching in a similar time period? Oh.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's a wonderful that's it, people refer to it as the axial age. Uh, the Buddha, Confucius also was going on then in Lao Tzu. It, it was a it was an age of transformation, really, on the planet. Is how we would say it in today's vernacular. Uh, there's some wonderful books about that. So it was a time there was a lot of fermentation going on. Uh, in in Trangsa, who which was another hundred or two hundred years after Lao Tzu, he tells a story of. Confucius going to meet Lao Tzu. And Confucius was very popular with the government because he was really about people knowing their place in the world and staying in it. And he met Lao Tzu who was really about personal freedom. When he left he said, today I have seen a dragon. Hmm. And Zhuangzi makes fun of uh, uh, Confucius, by the way, all through his book.
0: Hmm. Now there's a lot I want to talk with you about in terms of the major themes of Lao Tzu's teaching, but before we get there, I'm going to circle back to this quote, the sage returns people to their childlike hearts. And I noticed I was really moved when you said that. And I thought, oh, you know, so many of us as we grow older can become maybe not exactly embittered, but certainly not childlike slightly taciturn, perhaps we've given up on certain dreams we had as children. We're defeated in certain kinds of ways. So what do you think is the key to returning to our childlike hearts?
1: Well, Lao Tzu has one of the verses, talks to what you were just referring to, saying when plants are young, they're very soft and pliable, and they bend and they don't break. But as they get old, they get dry and brittle and break easily. And that's what happens to people, which is what you were just talking about. People start stiffening up in their bodies and in their minds and in their hearts. And they don't have that childlike enthusiasm anymore. And they decide they're just going to watch one TV show and eat one kind of food and that's their life. Where the Taoists, the Taoists were always, um, well, let me just backtrack for a second and say there are two streams of Taoism the Taoism of Lao Tzu and Trong Tzu, and then the religious form of Taoism, which came about 600 years later. And so on this kind of Taoism, for instance, Lao Tzu was not a Taoist. There was nothing called Taoist. There was no organization. They were just the people who liked to learn from nature and tried to keep their childlike enthusiasm about the world and about the outer world as well as the inner world. And they were magicians, they were musicians, they were artists, they were farmers. You know, they were people that just felt like there was something, there's some, not a being, not a great being, but a state of being that's kind of like behind all of this and through all of this. And what Lao Tzu at one, one verse says, I don't know what to call it, so I'll call it Tao. Almost like he had to pull that out of a hat. And, and Tao means a road, a way, a path. It also means walking on that path. And so the the whole idea of this, I'm sorry, I don't know if I'm getting off the point here, but this is a journey. This book is a journey. And as we take this journey, sometimes at the beginning of a journey, if it's a spiritual journey, you end up being younger than when you started.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now you're you're making this important distinction between the religion of Taoism and this direct experience, if you will, that's not necessarily in this formal religious framework. But then this return to our childlike heart. I can imagine people of another time as you're describing them, magicians, people close to the earth, But what about us, people here in our contemporary technological age, as you said quite beautifully, sadly, watching the same TV show and eating the same food?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, that's why I have a lot of practices and meditations in life um, style choices that I've written about in this book. so that you don't lose that, uh, you know, so that not only do you not lose that childlike heart, but you're able to rediscover it if you have lost it. To the Chinese, to the Taoists, our mind resides in our heart. And our heart is also where our Shen, our spiritual nature resides. And so we work a lot with opening that center energetically with meditation, with uh, Qigong, and so that you, your heart expands. You know there's a lot of information coming out now on the heart math solution and things like that that we have a brain and our heart, and that actually our heart in Chinese medicine is considered the emperor of the whole body, and so the heart is the heart is really where a lot of the spiritual work is done and and the Taoist thing is very interesting because to do spiritual work, you know we do a lot of meditation we do silent meditation, but we also do a lot of energetic meditations and qigong and internal alchemy. Internal alchemy called neidan is something is about transformation. And you're never too old to transform.
0: So let's get specific. So Lala, you mentioned that in the book, there are lifestyle suggestions and also energetic practices related to the heart. And I'm curious, let's talk a little bit about both of those, some lifestyle suggestions, and yeah. maybe we can even do an energetic practice together to return to this childlike heart.
1: Yeah, he says in uh, chapter 3, he says, Sages empty their heart minds and fill their bellies. In parentheses, I wrote Dantian. And that's one of those lines um, that's often mistranslated and not understood. The sage empties their mind and fills their bellies. And people think, Uh, This is about burning the books and not reading books, but just eating a lot or eating all the time, or sometimes it's translated as the emperor empties the people's minds and fills their bellies. So is this a way of controlling people? Um, And really it's about emptying the mind, the intellectual mind, and bringing the mind intent, which is the element fire, down into the belly, into the dantian, which is water and putting that fire under the water and the fire the water rather um, dampens down the fire of the intellect a little bit so that you move into that realm of what Lao Tzu calls belly knowledge instead of head knowledge and in this culture in the modern times it's all about head knowledge and one point he says in the regular world every day more is taken on more is crammed into our heads more and more but in the world of Tao, every day something is let go of. And by emptying ourselves, that's how we're able to receive. You know, that old story of the guy who goes to see the teacher, and he's so full of himself, and he's going on and on and on about all his things that he's accomplished, and the master is pouring the tea, and it pours out of the teacup and across the table into his lap the hot tea, and he jumps up, What are you doing? And the teacher says, You're. Your mind, your heart is so full, it's overflowing. And not only that, but it's too full. I cannot give you anything. You have no room for me to offer you anything. And so by emptying emptying our minds and filling our bellies, we become open vessels. Or empty vessels is the term that Lao Tzu uses.
0: I wonder, could we do a practice together, Solala, that helps us root more in this belly knowledge that you're describing?
1: Yeah, well, here's one that goes with Chapter 3. Um, here he says, it's sage emptied their heart-minds, filled their bellies. They weaken their ambitions and strengthen their bodies. They are free of knowledge and desires. By practicing not doing, u-way, they live in peace and inner harmony. So, Right before we do this, this, this term, wei" is a very important term that's used a lot in Tao Te Ching and a lot in Taoism, and it means not forcing, not overdoing, not trying to make something happen, and it's more about relaxing and allowing things to come about in their own time, in their own way.
0: Let's talk about that just for a moment, because I think yeah, a lot yeah. of people have confusion around this not doing idea of Taoism. Mm-hmm and they think, oh great, You know the taoists they're passive, they're not the ones who are going to recreate society in a new way. They're gonna kind of get run over yeah. by all the pushy yeah. people. Really? No, it really
1: doesn't work that way. Uh, let, uh, let me just quote a couple paragraphs here. Uwe, often translated as doing nothing, means not overdoing. It means not doing anything to an extreme, such as overeating, overexercising, which cause bellyache and exhaustion, It means doing just enough and no more. It means not doing anything against nature or against your own nature. It means using the least amount of energy to get the most done. It means not forcing, not allowing, not exhausting yourself trying to make anything happen. Uwe is learning to allow, letting things develop in their own way and in their own time. We are able to adapt and, like water, take the shape of whatever circumstances we find ourselves in. And this one little quote from Chongsa Let things unfold naturally and let your mind be free. Accept what you can't control and continue to nourish your internal spirit. That is best. You must be willing to act in accordance with your own destiny. Nothing is simpler than this and nothing more difficult. So it's a very deep practice, way
0: Well, I certainly don't want to say more than is needed here.
1: <laughs> and he refers to the water course way because that's another of the main principles of water. If you put water in a round vessel, it becomes round. If you put it in a square vessel, it becomes square. It's eminently adaptable. And if we can become that adaptable, to find a way, whatever situation or environment we find ourselves in, we can find a way to fit ourselves in a really non-forcing, Uwe kind of way, um, then we'll be so much healthier and so much happier and so much less afraid of the world and our place in it.
0: So share with me the practice that you matched with this verse.
1: Um, And this is called Filling the Jade Pond. Um, By working with energetic practices like this one, our energy becomes increasingly subtle, ultimately leading to union with the subtle source of all life, Tao. Although our minds reside in our hearts, many thought processes leave us stuck in our heads. Energetically, we end up with gigantic heads and no bottom. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to balance that mind energy and put it into our, Dantian means field of elixir or field of medicine. So we begin, sit quietly in the edge of a chair or on a cushion. Close your eyes and breathe slowly and deeply through your nose. Your breathing should be so light that a feather held in front of your nose would not move. This will take some time, so go slowly, without worry. With each inhalation, feel your lower dantian, your lower abdomen, expand. On each exhalation, feel your lower abdomen contract. This is the type of breathing you did in the womb when you were breathing through your navel. Put your mind intent down into your lower abdomen. Put your focus of your intention down into your lower abdomen. Don't try to make anything happen. Just let the energy flow downward naturally. Eventually, you may feel some heat or tingling in this area, although that may not happen for some time. Just stay with the practice, and things will move when they're ready. For a healing effect, use your mind intent to breathe in healing light on each inhale. Feel it entering your whole body, burrowing down to the dark places in your energetic or physical body where any disease, pain, or toxicity exists. On each exhale, see all the disease, pain, or toxicity leaving your body through your nose as black smoke dissipating into the air before you. So as we breathe in, we breathe in healing light, healing chi. And if you have a place that you have pain or disease or discomfort in your body, you can bring that light there or you can just let the light find its own way. And then as you exhale, you let all that pain, disease, Toxic feelings, fear, emotions, unstable emotions, and you feel it, you see it rather, leaving your body like black smoke. Continue breathing in healing light chi and exhaling black smoke. If you are suffering from disease or pain, you can gently guide the healing light chi to that area, or you can just relax and let it find its own way. After a while, you will see the energy coming in is healing light, and the energy going out is healing light. So you're breathing in healing light, you're exhaling healing light. All your mind and focuses focus is down in your lower abdomen. You feel your whole abdomen expanding from the front, from the back, out to two sides. And this really, um, this, part is, uh, um, this part is not in the book, uh, You you feel your beginning of your focus, of your groundedness, feeling down in your lower abdomen, or what the Japanese call the hara, what we call the dantian. And this area gets filled up with life force. And this is the force that you will use to live the rest of your life, to focus the rest of your life, to deal with the rest of your life. And when you're done, to finish... Um, We bring our palms together and rub them briskly together 36 times, which is a magic number. We do everything in multiples of three or nine, 36 times, and then rub them up and down your face gently to kind of bring yourself back out of this uh, inner state that you may have gotten into, an inner trance state. And then you rub your fingertips gently across your closed eyelids and then open your eyes.
0: So Solala, in that practice, we're really starting to work with making our breath more subtle and then bringing the breath down into the belly bowl and then also expelling toxins in -hmm. the body, bringing in fresh energy, expelling toxins, and then just being with this beautiful, slow breath in the belly And I'm wondering when you reflect on the Taoist practices that are in the book, Practicing the Tao Te Ching, would you say there are certain core practice themes, if you will, that the practices draw on? Maybe aspects of our subtle anatomy that are emphasized again and again and again? And and what are those core themes?
1: Well, this belly breathing is, is one. And of course, when we breathe this way, expanding and contracting our abdomen, we also um, expanding, contrain our diaphragm muscle, which also massages all our um, all our internal organs down in that area. And we get out of the fight or flight kind of breathing. Many people breathe very shallowly. And when we come across, we get a sudden fright or shock, we we stop breathing. And for many people, they only breathe from the top third of their lungs. So their lungs never really empty. and they never So they don't expel all the carbon dioxide, for one thing. And they're kind of always in this fight-or-flight mode. And by doing this kind of breathing, you do it consciously at first, and eventually it just takes over. And you breathe this way all the time, and your whole system calms down. And you get a lot of this energy in your head, out of your head, down into your belly, We also do some grounding practices um, in this book, uh, like before we do a Tai Chi or Qigong practice. You stand on the earth or even on the floor and you connect the energy of the bottom of your feet. You send energetic roots like you're a tree. You send roots down into the earth so that you can draw yin energy of the earth up through the bottom of your feet into your body. And also you can feel rooted like a tree. When a big windstorm, you see many trees are swaying very, very big. Um, but there's something that keeps them up because they have a root system. When people say, picture in your mind a tree, we see a trunk and we see branches and we see leaves and we see maybe fruit. But there's a whole other aspect of the tree that's underground. Just like there's a whole other aspect of ourselves that's under. We can think of it as underground, it's more in our subconscious level. And if the, lo- the more strongly we can introduce these ideas of being rooted into the earth, then when the winds of life come up, we don't just get knocked over. We're able to bend with the wind but come back up again. So being rooted, getting out of your head, not forcing, way, going with the flow, the watercourse way, and being natural is another big thing in Daoism called in Chinese called pu and sometimes Lao Tzu talks about becoming like the uncarved block you know that idea that the artist the, the true artist the advanced artist they see a piece of wood and they see the sculpture they see it in their mind and it's almost like they just carve off the extraneous parts of the wood to reveal the statue or whatever it is they're carving in there but the uncarved block is who we are before society and culture and politics and religion have forced that shape on us. So sometimes our shapes are very twisted and unnatural, and you can see it in people's bodies. You can see it in people's um, emotions. You know, they 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 work so hard to try to get themselves to shape themselves the way they think they need to be in the world that they end up crippling themselves, sometimes physically, sometimes emotionally, sometimes psychologically. And the more we can return, um, you said earlier about returning, and that's a big theme in Tao Te Ching, about returning to the source, returning to that state of the uncarved block, where we're, we have so much potential, and we're not shaped by anyone else's ideas of who we are. We're ready to find who we are, really, ourselves,
0: Now, I want to talk a little bit more about this idea of not forcing, because I think that's an idea that is possibly a little difficult or paradoxical for people to understand. I mean, more and more we're hearing about the importance of perseverance and not giving up, and if you're going to be successful at anything, the most successful athletes and business people, etc., are people who have grit They stay engaged. They keep going. So how do I make sense of that and not forcing at the same time? Well,
1: you know, all that is true. You know, to write this book, I couldn't just sit there and let it write itself. I couldn't sit in front of the computer, wait for my fingers to start moving. I had to invest a lot of time and energy and focus and chi into it. But at the same time, you can do that, but you can do it in a way that you get tortured by it. Or, you know, you get unhealthy by it. Or you can find a way where it becomes less of a slog and more of a dance. Less of a rut and more of, um, you know, a dance, really. A groove. Less of a rut, more of a groove. So there's ways that you can do that where you're not as so attached to the outcome that you will be totally crushed if it doesn't come out the way that you want it to happen. You have to let go of that. You have to be willing to put in the time. I talk in here about this idea of Kung Fu. People think Kung Fu means martial arts, and Kung Fu actually means anything that you put time and practice into. You know, I do Kung Fu tea ceremonies. People do Kung Fu painting. It can be Kung Fu cooking. You know, anything that you really put your devote your some time and essence into. But you do it in a way, like I say, it's more of a dance and more of a groove. And that's what people lose sight of. They want to achieve these goals and they're willing to crush anyone who gets in their way or they're willing to crush their, their own selves, their own uncarved block and, and to make it the shape they think it needs to be. Does that make sense?
0: It does. I think that's helpful. Now, Solala, tell me a little bit about you and about how you came to be in love with Taoist philosophy and practice.
1: Um, like, Let me just say one more thing about the ue. For some people, going out and practicing really hard in sports is what they need to do. That's their form of way. Other people... Wouldn't be able to handle that. They wouldn't be able to handle that kind of stress. So, uwe is slightly different for each person, is what I'm trying to say. So you don't make a blanket statement as no one should ever try to achieve anything or really, um, you know, really ask anything great of themselves. Uwe means asking something great of yourself, but doing it in a graceful way. So I'm a, I'm a child of the '60s. I was born in 1950. I grew up in New England, and Never felt at home in school. Never felt at home, you know, in the world. And the '60s came along, and suddenly people were talking about spirituality and mind expansion. And and uh, there was a lot, you know. I got interested in yoga and meditation in 1969, and I there, there was no Taoism going on at least not in Boston in those days. But I was just there was something about the Eastern path, the Eastern way, that I really loved and felt at home in. And so I studied yoga i was you know I was a young hippie vegetarian yoga meditation practitioner, and I kind of stayed with that all along and then um about twenty five thirty years ago, I was studying Zen, and there was something for me at least about I felt there was a rigidity in Zen that I didn't feel at home and I became very ill and was sick for ten years with chronic fatigue syndrome and ended up being totally bedridden. And Chinese herbs are what got me out of bed, and qigong is what cured me. And so I started looking into what's the background of Chinese medicine for work so well, what's the philosophy, and discovered Taoism, discovered my teacher Hua Ni, and it was like coming home. And I just felt really at home with it, and it's been a journey over 25 years, and I still feel as excited and enthusiastic about these teachings and practices as I did when I first discovered them.
0: And tell me a little bit about how it is that you feel Qigong healed you.
1: Chronic fatigue syndrome is, uh, you know, Chinese medicine looks at the body in a whole different way. and You you may already have some background in this to know. Um, Chronic fatigue syndrome, they think of it as uh, some sort of autoimmune disease. This is in the West. And it's uh, adrenal fatigue, adrenal, adrenal burnout basically and the Chinese medicine looks at things a little differently and they look at it as a extreme yin kidney yin deficiency which because all our body is a whole system and when one system kind of breaks down the kidney yin or adrenal system it causes problems in other areas so it causes a thing what we call disturbed Shen or disturbed spirit which causes a lot of problems of short-term memory and extreme insomnia and a lot of um things in our minds that we can't really can't focus on anymore and so the qigong works with qi it works with a uh, attach of bringing earthly energy earthly qi into our body which is yin energy bringing heavenly energy or yang energy into our body and accessing this qi we we live in a world of qi we live in a world of energy and what happens is our body and our chi streams in our body start getting clogged up and shut down and things start shutting down in our body and if we do the movement the breath and the visualization practices we start to open those areas back up again and then the energy starts flowing freely again so i think that 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 and that works on anything it's the same process used to treat heart problems cancer emotional problems physical problems.
0: It's the same practice. Now, the Tao teaching has 81 verses that Mm -hmm. you then have written commentary on and also offered a practice to help us embody and understand the verse. And I'm wondering, you ready for this? Do you have a favorite verse?
1: Wow. Uh, Wow. I didn't think of that. I love the one about emptying the mind and filling the belly. That's one of my favorites, because I think that's one that people really don't get when they look at it. And, you know, one of the things I mentioned in the book, uh, I should mention here, this is also kind of unique, is that you can use the Tao Te Ching as a book of divination, like the I Ching. You're having, you're feeling unclear about something, you want to make a decision, or you, you would like some guidance from your higher self, your ancestral spirits, your guiding spirits, You can sit yourself down in front of this book, clear your mind, you know, breathe quietly for a few moments, and then arbitrarily open the book and read the verse and do the practice. And um, that's one of the really interesting ways that you can use this book. Well, let's
0: just just talk about that for a moment, because, you know, I can, look, every single verse is filled with wisdom, and every practice is going to be helpful and illuminating and connect us with our breath and our body. But does that really make it a divination tool? Meaning I'm sure that if I were befuddled and confused by something, it would be great for me to pick up the Tao Te Ching and read something. Cause I'm sure it will, it will help me. But, yes,
1: but, but is this, it, well, this verse and this practice will specifically address what you're asking for in this moment.
0: So help me believe that.
1: <laughs> well, have you worked with the I Jing at all? The I Ching or I Ching, I Ching. You know these the yeah. terms are.
0: Yeah, well, you, we don't know each other that well, so La. la but yeah, half of me believes, just, half of me believes it, and half of me doesn't. So it's the half of me that <laughs> doesn't that's asking you the question.
1: <laughs> um, it's really just a tool. We're, not, you know, it's not really the book that's giving us the information, either the I Ching or the Tao Te Ching. It's like you know the great wheel of life. We are on this wheel of life. And when I do I Ching readings, I tell people wh- what we want to do is get information. Where are we on this wheel? Are we at a place where we have a lot of support from the spiritual realm, or are we at a po- and so that we can move forward, take on new projects, travel, you know, do something new? Or are we at a time where we don't have that support, and it's a better time for us to be quiet, to be centered, to allow the energy to move and uh, build on its own? And it's really. So it's kind of like tuning into that and also tuning into what your higher self or your inner self, your wisdom mind, you know, that pe- everyone has a different name for it. What, you know, we, we in, the, in the Bible they call it this still small voice within. And that still small voice within gets drowned out by the world, right, the outer world, and also by all the... In in Buddhism, we call the monkey mind, and Taoism we call the wild horse, you know, that mind that's going 24 hours a day, you know, going, 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 and especially those of us who tend to be kind of cerebral, and we have our brains going all the time, how can we slow that down, or how can we kind of, it's almost like jumping out of that merry-go-round that we're on, and suddenly we just, okay, I'm going to use this book, I'm going to use the I Ching or the Tao Te Ching, Or some people just meditate and they can get this information or this illumination or this inspiration. But this book is also a way. And interestingly enough, I just opened it arbitrarily, and I did this this morning just to see what would happen. And I just opened it arbitrarily to the very same one. And it just has this beautiful little little description of the sage. The one who holds to the great image of Tao. All things, all beings under heaven will follow him. They will come to no harm, only peace and contentment. There is fine food and music, and travelers stop by and stop. Yet to speak the word Tao is tasteless and has no flavor. If one tries to see it, it cannot be seen. If one listens for it, it cannot be heard. Yet it will never be exhausted. the Tao that can be written about in a book, the Tao that can be put into words um, or tattooed on your arm like I have is really not the real the real Tao. But we use these words, we use these practices to kind of go beyond this world that we're looking at now. Because in the very first verse, he says that the world that we see outside of us and the world that we see inside of us come from the same place the realm of non-being one can see the mysterious source of all things and the realm of being one can see the manifestations of Tao, the, the world around us these two have the same origin but are called by different names they are both mysterious and profound mystery within mystery the gateway to all marvelous wonders that's how he ends the very first verse
0: So, so, Lala, are you dodging my question about your favorite verse and relying relying on divination to deliver what is the verse of the moment?
1: (laughs) I don't think I have a favorite. Okay, fair enough. Okay, here's one that I really like. This is one of my favorites, and George Harrison actually put this to music and wrote a song about it. Without going out your door, you can know everything under heaven. Without looking out of the window, you can see the Tao of heaven. The farther one travels, the less one knows. The sage knows without traveling, sees without looking, and accomplishes all without striving.
0: That makes me want to talk more about this sage person and what you think of the Tao teaching as a leadership manual, if you will, and what leaders of all kinds might learn from practicing the Tao Te Ching?
1: Well, here he says the sage leads from behind. And and it was interesting at one point early on when Obama first became president, he talked about that was his style of leading from behind. I don't know if he studied Tao Te Ching. I think he's just naturally that way. But in in Taoism, the word sage, the term they use is Run, which means authentic person which i think is really beautiful it's their idea of an enlightened being is a person who is authentically themselves they know who they are they are able to to do everything in their life from that point that understanding that deep inner knowing that take that can take a while to learn how to do that That can take a while for people to know who they are as an uncarved block, as an authentic person. And so the sage, the sage leads from behind. Uh, He talks a lot about the sage leads by example. The sage sometimes acts silly or there's a beautiful, there's actually a really beautiful one in here, hopefully I can find it, where, where, where he's saying everyone else seems to know what they're doing. Everyone else seems to know where they're going. I am like a child lost in a vast sea. I appear stupid and but I know that I am different because I am nurtured by the great mother so sometimes the spiritual person uh, in the eastern uh, Western cultures they call the holy fool appears stupid or in the Taoist tradition, like if you met a Taoist master, you, you would say to them, Oh, I hear you are a great master of such and such and such and such. If they really are a Taoist master, they, knew, they will never say, Oh, yes, I am. I am a master. I am the Taoist master. They will say, Oh, I know a little. They will not appear to be, they are not dressed in splendid robes and lights coming out of their head. And a lot of these teachers are very simple people that if you just saw them walking down the street, you wouldn't realize real depth of their understanding.
0: What do you think, Solala, about Taoism in our time? Meaning, I can imagine listeners who think, you know, this particular spiritual path and spiritual tradition was kind of meant for a different culture at a different time. It hasn't really kept up with the speed of innovation and the challenges we face today.
1: Well, you know, I've been publishing... At the Empty Vessel is the only Taoist magazine in the West. I've been doing it for 23 years now. And I often hear from people saying, you know what, I was reading your magazine or reading one of your books, and I'm someone, I've always been a great lover of nature. I've always been just adored watching the cycles of the seasons. I always feel like I'm the kind of person that doesn't want to push themselves forward, but I'm happy to be in the back of the pack you know, I'm one of these people that feels like nature is the best healer. And, and and I have never felt like I could join any organized religion or political party. And you know what? I think I must be a Taoist. I hear that a lot. So for people who, Taoism is about learning that Taoist teachers say nature is the greatest teacher beyond any book that you could ever read, even mine. Nature going out in nature um the ancient Taoists lived in the mountains they lived in the forest they watched how animals conducted themselves when they were sick or when they were injured what plants they went and ate what kind you know what kind of practices the way they would curl up and close off all their openings in a circle they they found their way they did they were like inner astronauts they started charting where in their body they felt their energy that was connected to, say, their adrenal kidney energy. Where did that come from? Where did that go? What if I press this point? How does that change that? What if I drink these herbs? What if I combine these other herbs? And I think for people, especially people interested in philosophical or classical Taoism, not religious Taoism, you can do the practices you can do the meditation that Qigong practices you can still be a practicing Jew a practicing Buddhist a practicing Christian you don't have to change your religious uh, affiliation to do these practices or you may be a person that feels like you never fit into any slot but you felt like there's there's some there's some state of being you don't want you could call it God you could call it Allah you could call it job you know but it's you feel that it's not in Taoism, we don't think of it as a personalized godhead who punishes people and rewards people. It's a natural force. You spit into the wind, you get it back in the face. You try to go against nature, things, things don't turn out well. You try to go against your own nature, things don't turn out well. What for one person, in the, in the very second verse he talks about, um, everything exists in relation to e- each other what's to some people is a huge job another person it's nothing what some people is a really deep practice to other people and very difficult other people find very easy you can't go through life comparing yourself to other people that's the whole idea of yin yang which we, which we haven't gone into too much but we all have a little piece of yang in the yin and a little piece of yin in the yang and yin and yang are constantly transforming we are constantly transforming. You know, uh, Deepak Chopra talks about how every cell in our body is over, I can't remember how many years, or maybe it's just one year, every cell in our body is transformed or breaks down and is rebuilt. And the more we can feel like we want to connect to that greater source, the source of where all this comes from, how can we return ourselves to that life of simplicity to that deep connection with nature, with source, how can we feel that connection with others? How can we have a healthy body so that we can do spiritual practices? If you are in constant pain and in disease and in fear and in anger, it's really hard to settle down into a deep meditation, right? Um, so these practices, these qigong, these meditation practices, like yoga in India, is a A practice so that you can become strong enough in your body, psyche, mind, and spirit to be able to go deep into deep practices.
0: Now, you mentioned a bit about yin and yang and that when we are very yin, there's still that yang in us or the other way around, that they go together. And I'm curious what you think about, if you will, androgyny and masculine-feminine, integration in people and how that fits with Taoist philosophy.
1: Well in Tao jing he says, Know the Yang but hold to the Yin. He talks a lot about there the Yang already gets enough attention in the world. There's already enough Yang energy in the world. He talks a lot about the Yin energy and being quiet and being soft and, and in nurturing yourself in the primal womb he calls it the primal mother, the valley spirit. He talks a lot, he talks a lot about those kinds of things. So I think it's, it's kind of, even in his age, 2,500 years ago, like I said, he was entering the Warring States period. He could see that Yang was rampant in the world and intellect was rampant in the world, and he was trying to come up with something to balance that. And so sometimes we have to take... And it doesn't mean, like Uwe, people don't understand it, but that we get so yin we become just passive and we never get anything done and we never push ourselves. Um, It's not about that, but it's just trying to find a little bit of balance in the world because yang energy flares up very quickly and also flares out very quickly. Yin energy takes longer to build, but it has more staying power.
0: But now what I hear you saying is, let's emphasize the yin, because our culture has so much yang in it. But, I mean, I'm sure you've met so a lot of people who seem to have a lot of yin energy, and you think, ah, oh, they could really develop their yang, don't you think?
1: Oh, of course, of course. Yep, yeah, the people who are so, that they've kind of not developed their yang energy, and they've emphasized the yin so much that they become these passive um, people that never really do anything in their life. Um, so there needs to be a balance, of course. And the balance shifts all the time. That's the important thing. And I talked about that a lot in my first book with you guys, The uh, Dell of Intimacy and Ecstasy, where the balance is shifting emotionally, sexually, energetically. And we need to be able to get sensitive enough to slow down our process enough so that we know where we are in any situation. They, we know, is this a place where I really need to push forward? Is this a place where I need to pull back? You know, this morning I really needed to get things done and I got up and I got a lot done and that was great. And now this afternoon I'm going to go into a little more of a meditative or I'm going to listen to music or read a book or something. And sometimes in this one day you can go through a number of cycles of yin and yang. So it's about being going slow enough because some of us, you know, I'm one of those people that the mind moves very quickly and I can get ahead of myself, and I need to slow my mind, myself, my breathing down so I don't get defensive, I don't, get, I don't feel attacked or afraid, and I feel like I can go into a situation in a really healthy, balanced, grounded way. And to learn how to do that is a, it's it's just a wonderful gift to be able to live your life that way.
0: Now, we started our conversation with a practice related to belly breathing, getting into our belly knowledge. And I'm curious, do you return to having your breath focus in the belly throughout the day? Is that something you return to as your breath focus?
1: I I know that when I first started doing this kind of breathing, um... My wife uh, told me that I was breathing differently, not only during the day, but I was breathing breathing differently, differently when I was sleeping. So it, you train yourself so that that kind of goes on all the time. And then when you need to calm down in a special situation, then you say, okay, boom, you focus. And you focus on that breathing. The more you practice that kind of breathing, the more it becomes just... Second nature, and it just becomes the way you breathe, and you get yourself out of that fight or flight feeling into a much more grounded, more centered, more calm state of mind and state of being. And sometimes, you know, not to denigrate the mind completely, some we use the mind. We use the mind to write the books. You know, you created this beautiful company. You know, with all these amazing people, and you've been able to offer so much wisdom and knowledge and inspiration to the world. And And I'm sure in the beginning, you had to use your mind to figure out how you were going to do that and how to put it together. And the mind and the heart, the mind, heart, and belly should work together. So sometimes we do meditations where we're breathing into our third eye, our upper dantian. We have three, the upper dantian, third eye center. Middle dantian is the heart center. Lower dantian is uh, just below the navel. And all these centers are inside of your body, not on the surface. And we do practices, the very last practice in the book is the small heavenly orbit. You're guiding energy from your belly up your back and then over your head and then down the front of your body. So you have this beautiful circulation of energy moving.
0: Do you think we could end our conversation together, Solala, by actually doing that circulation practice? Could you lead us through it?
1: Uh, Sure. And you know this is kind of an advanced practice, and it takes time to to get really good at it, but we can at least begin it and give people an idea what it is we're doing. And all these practices um, you can do standing uh, depending on you know your physical capability, standing, sitting, or even lying down. People can do these practices lying on their back if that's what the only way they can they can be. And so we can sit on a meditation cushion, you can sit on the edge of a chair, you know, the idea is to be flexible. That's one of the other big principles of Taoism, be flexible. And so at whatever state you're in, you can do these practices. So don't think that you have to be some uh, advanced yogi or something to be able to do this. Okay, so there's two, and I talked about the qi energy pathways. For people who have done acupuncture, they know that qi moves in what they call meridians. Two of the major highways of energy is the du mai up the back and the ren mai down the front. And by running energy up the back and down the front, we actually are able to affect all the other meridians, all the other pathways, all the other rivers and streams of energy in our body. So it's a really powerful practice to do, and it can have all kinds of wonderful things, and it can unblock areas that are blocked or or stagnated. So we always begin these kind of things where we're sitting, and we put the tip of our tongue to the roof of our mouth. And the the reason we do this is the energy comes up the back, over the top of our head, down to the third eye, down to our upper palate, and ends there. And the renmai begins at the lower palate so by putting our tip of our tongue to the roof of our mouth we make the connection like an electrical circuit so that the energy can move all the way through our body and actually all taoist meditation or even qigong practices it's good to just put your tongue to the roof of your mouth it makes everything flow better as a matter of fact my teacher says if you can remember just live your whole life that way with the tip of your tongue in the roof of the mouth, so the energy is always flowing and moving in your body. And what we're doing is we're starting by breathing into our lower dantian, and then we're going to send the energy down across our perineum, up to our backbone, and then all the way up our back, across the top of our head, which is the uh, crown chakra in Taoism, we call the Bai Hui, the thousand meeting point, and then down the front. And it's very important not to ever try to force anything. This is also in our practices we do uwe. It's not like you're trying to ram the breath up, the energy up your back and down the front. It's a very gentle, guiding energy. And there are certain places in the body where energy tends to get stuck, like at the base of the skull, the tailbone. So sometimes we do practices where we breathe into those areas so that we can open them up. So to do a basic practice, we begin by doing this belly breathing. And it's important that we don't just feel our abdomen pushing out from the front, but also to the back. We should actually be able, if someone put their hands on our lower back, they would feel that back move each time we breathe in. So we're breathing in the back, the front, and both sides are expanding. We're breathing in through the nose. Abdomen expands. Exhaling through the nose, abdomen contracts. And we do that for a few moments or more. And then we put our mind intent, our E, into our lower dantian, into our field of elixir. And we breathe into that field so that we can feel like we, we get a little energy moving. We get a little, a little water moving, a little juice area there moving. And then slowly and gently... Guide this qi down across your perineum and up through your lower back, all the way up to your Bai Hui point at the top of your head. There's a saying in Qigong, that qi follows Yi, the qi goes where the mind flows. So we're really using our mind, in the beginning we're using our imagination quite a bit, but after a while of practice this becomes very real and you will start to feel sometimes tingles or heat, or you might even twitch or jump a little bit. That's when things really start moving. So we do it very gently to the top of our head and across the top of our head. And remember to do this very gently. It is very important that you do not try to force anything to happen. Forcing is against uwe and can cause energetic problems. And there are nine points along the back and front of your body through which the chi needs to move. Some of them, such as the Wei Lu point on the tailbone, the Ling Kai or spiritual tower point located between the 6th and 7th thoracic vertebrae opposite the heart center, and Yugun or Jade Pillow at the base of the skull are all places it can be difficult for the chi to pass through. So as we're guiding the chi, we're using our imagination at first, right, to that we're guiding. It's almost like water, like going up to a thermometer or a hose. It's just gently flowing up the back and then down the front of our body. And the tip of our tongue is up at our palate, which allows the energy to flow from the dumai to the ren mai. And we let it flow back to our lower dantian and we would do this uh, a number of times 9 times 36 times you know depending on what you're trying to do how much time you have and uh, as it says in the book here the ideal way to do this practice is set your mind intent begin to breathe deeply and slowly gather your chi or life force into your lower dantian and let it, let it move from there slowly naturally in its own way and time Only often after doing this practice for some time, you will feel a tingling or sense of warmth as the chi rises and descends. In the beginning, you will be using your imagination to move the chi, but eventually, if you are constant with your practice, you will feel the chi moving on its own. And to finish, put your mind intent back into your belly, your lower dantian, and relax into a state of mindfulness and
0: gratitude. Thank you so much for leading us through that. Now, what is that practice called that we just did?
1: Zhao uh, Xiao Tian in Chinese, or the Small Heavenly Orbit. What some people are familiar with, the uh, teachings of Monte Chia, called the microcosmic orbit. Mm-hmm. And it's a really a basic Qigong practice and spiritual practice. And uh, people really work with that. Over time, it can really make a lot of changes.
0: I've been speaking with Solala Towler. He is the author of a new book, Practicing the Tao Te Ching, 81 Steps on the Way. It's the 81 verses of the Tao Te Ching, along with original commentary, and then a practice, a practice from the Taoist tradition to go with each one of the verses. Which sounds true, Solala has also written the book, the Tao of Intimacy and Ecstasy. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having a Wu Wei-style conversation with me.
1: Thank you, Tammy. Always a pleasure. Yeah.
0: Soundstreet.com, many voices, one journey. Thanks for being with us.